0: I'm thrilled to be back. I missed last time, and it was so I am so more thrilled sad. that you're
1: here than you are, so I don't have to be solo yeah. this time. So. I, had
0: the, I had the Rona. It finally got me after <laughs> two years of this thing. I don't know what happened. I thought I was invincible, but then, alas, oh well. But glad to be back and thrilled to be talking tonight about something that certainly feels pretty prevalent. I mean, I, we were talking about, it, it feels like the last five or six years. Everything has been so amped up, just the energy-wise and, and the anger level, really, in, in our nation. Um, and so I, I feel like anger is always mm-hmm. a thing that we tend to kind of overlook, but it's kind of hard to overlook that now. I think we all experience anger, and we're quick to dismiss that in our own hearts and lives. So I'm excited to talk about um, with you about about anger tonight. So... Uh, Why would we spend time talking about an emotion, Brian?
1: Well, that is a really good question. Uh, Part of what we're trying to do in Theology on Tap is talk about things that resonate with where people live. And uh, anger is something I think that has become so much a part of what is going on in our world right now. And something that a lot of people are dealing with. And it's actually something that the scriptures talk about a lot. but. You don't hear it preached on a lot, and I think most people have not really formulated a theology of anger on their own, Uh, so I think it's something that could be helpful for us to lean into and to talk a little bit about kind of reframing the way that we deal with anger in terms of a scriptural and kingdom viewpoint rather than what's coming at us all
0: the time from the culture. Yeah. I, growing up, I think, in the church, I saw two primary ways of dealing with, like, emotions. One was—the it, 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 pr- most prominent one was that we should never really talk about just, them or deal with them. Right. Like Just, kind of, just like, don't have your, any emotions. Don't be controlled yeah. by any of your emotions. It's bad. And then there was kind of another part of, of my life where dealing with a lot of folks who just really gave so much attention to them, almost were controlled by them. And what's interesting, when you look at the Bible, like, God actually has— uh, emotions or dispositions, not in the same way that we mm-hmm. do, right? I mean, he's unchanging. So, uh, and yet it says that he is loving, and that he has even jealousy and and anger and joy. He has these, and so uh, in some way we reflect God in our emotions, which is kind mm-hmm. of mind blowing. But secondly, um, our emotions tell us. I mean, they, they all they do is communicate what we love in some sense. They, they are a reflection of. How are the things that we, we're loving in a certain moment doing? And anger communicates, for instance, something that we love is being unjustly assaulted or attacked, and so our response, or at least is, in our own view, or, so. yes, yes, right. We're, we're, emotions are our perception, right? Mm-hmm. Like we, whether it's real or perceived, but our bodies experience this um, that we feel as if something is being that we that we love is being unjustly attacked. So. um, What does the Bible actually say when it comes to anger? I know there's a ton of scriptures that we wrote down here, but it says quite a lot. It does, and I think one of
1: the interesting things about anger is that you do see passages where God is angry, and so that shows us that there is a way of having that emotion that is not sinful, because God is without sin. However we are fundamentally broken by sin. So I think our perception and way of dealing with anger is deeply affected by the fall. But I think one of the most important, um, well there are a lot of important verses about it, but I think one of the most helpful ones is that we should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. And I think our culture has absolutely turned that upside down so we are quick to become angry quick to speak and slow to listen yeah so i think that is a really important one and the other one that i think is part of the the paradigm for looking at anger in a scriptural framework is to look at all the places in scripture particularly where jesus talks about how blessed are the peacemakers that there's something that is um all about God's kingdom when you are pursuing peace and not just hoping that it will happen, but that you are working for
0: peace and that you are using your life um, toward that end yeah, that's good I just realized, man, I missed one theology on tap and I completely whiffed if you're new tonight (laughs) uh, welcome, we're glad that you're here if you've never been here, this is how it goes there's a little QR code hopefully you have one of these laying around uh, and you can text in a question. I'm sorry, I didn't say that at the beginning. I'm clearly out of touch.
1: And so, if you're not on our mailing list, there's uh, another place and there's an, another, where you can scan yeah. and get added to that. Exactly. So you're in the net.
0: Yes. And, oh, yes, we got an extra week off this week. So schedule's a little different coming up. But anyways, but, so, yes, anger and scripture, right? And God, uh, one of the old most primary verses in the old testament exodus 34 talks about how the lord is a god who's gracious and merciful slow to anger abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness one of the things i'm sure we'll talk about is uh, the fact that god is slow to anger is so critical he doesn't blow up in anger and he doesn't have no anger but he is in fact slow to anger so in some ways there is this uh, healthy way that anger is a good thing since god is all good uh, and it reflects his character and yet at the same time um you have all of these verses in the New Testament, especially, talking about vengeance being the Lord's and that we're not supposed to uh, take our anger and enact justice ourselves, but we're right. to wait on the Lord. Yeah. Um, Romans 12 is a, a big one there. Jesus talked about anger, uh, equated it to murder. He said, you've heard in Matthew 6, sorry, Matthew 5, you've heard it was said of old that you shall not murder And whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother is liable to judgment. So he equates murder, like that the heart level is this sin of anger Mm -hmm. um, when it's it's inappropriate anger. So how can we actually distinguish? So the Bible does speak with nuance about sometimes it's, it's not necessarily a sin, but boy, it does have a lot to say. It cautions us with our anger. How can we know when anger goes bad? Uh, that is the $64,000 question Uh,
1: I think that it is something that requires prayer and discernment Uh, I think we have to look very carefully at why we are experiencing the emotion of anger Uh, one of the things that we talked about earlier uh, today is that anger in some ways is deeply connected to the fact that we have become as a culture more and more narcissistic And so anytime that anything impinges on us in any way, it's very easy to react to that with anger. And that is not uh, righteous anger. And I think the, the more helpful filter is if your anger is being fueled by something that is a violation of what I would call the rule of the kingdom of God, um, where you see some injustice being done or you see someone who is being hurt uh, by someone else or you see something that is just manifestly wrong going on, that those, those are more likely to be uh, in the category of good anger, if you want to call it that, than if you're just mad at somebody
0: because they frustrated you. Yeah. I think it's interesting if you, the kind of where we are now, the the highest value of society is not to, uh, basically infringe upon another person's freedom, not to tell anybody what to do because that would be uh, the most valuable thing that we have, and according to like the culture and the world's standard, is uh, whatever you think reality is is the most precious thing about you, and so we can kind of construct reality. But anger is a profoundly moral. Uh, Emotions where yep. that says yep. like, and it's interesting how there's this inconsistency where we refuse to uh, like contradict anybody else's perceived reality, and yet anger demands like you know, there is this kind of objective truth in the world, and that the person's violated it. Um, because if if there is no objective truth and there's no grounds for anger, you can't tell anybody else what to do, and so there's this kind of like logical inconsistency. I think that might be why we're so angry today, in some <laughs> sense, but. Um, No, I think one of the helpful distinctions between what we'll call righteous and unrighteous anger, anger that is actually a good thing that God has, and anger that's uh, sinful and wrong, is uh, good, righteous anger looks at things that mar beauty, things that um, basically violate God's law, and it it says that's wrong, and it gets upset and angry at it. Now, it's expressing it very differently, too, and we'll talk about that. But um, this is the, yeah, righteous anger is a hatred of sin and a love of beauty. Unrighteous anger is a hatred of vulnerability and a love of control. Mm-hmm. Usually that, I think that probably best encapsulates how anger can go wrong. Is we often love control. We, we want to hide and not be exposed. And so we're not going to be vulnerable in our explosive kind of bad anger. Uh, whereas righteous anger longs for restoration in some sense it longs for the wholeness that god's intended and it won't just simply overlook wrongdoing yeah and i think one of the things that's deeply related to that is that our misplaced
1: anger and our cultural view of anger very often relates in hating and demonizing other people Mm -hmm. and whenever your anger results in that toward being grieved by the sin or the wrong that has been done, you know something has gone awry. Because if you're, if you're starting to hate other people, uh, you can remember that a little bit later in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 5, Jesus tells us that we are to love our enemies and we are to pray for those who persecute us. And that is one of the most radical things about the Christian faith that is the only faith that teaches that you are to love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. And that's one of the things that um, I hope you all have all done a deep dive at some point in your life into the teaching of Martin Luther King, Jr. But he has such a wonderful way of talking about that whole idea of how important it is to love your enemies um, and pray for those who persecute you, while at the same time speaking the truth to them in love. One of the things with that is that there's sort of a continuum on one end of the continuum is speaking the truth on the other end of the continuum is loving people and scriptural expression of anger is right in the middle speaking the truth but also with deep love toward the person you can speak the truth and you can be right but you can do it in a way that is hateful or you can be so loving that you are not sharing truth with people in a way that causes them, your love and uh, sloppy love uh, allows them to persist in things that
0: are harmful for them and that may ultimately cost them their lives. Yeah, yeah that's a, a huge thing to see how anger actually is, can be, a form of love. When you're mm-hmm. looking at somebody who is, um, you know, let's say something like abusing somebody else it would be unloving to simply not get angry and not do anything about it. Instead, anger can be used to motivate, to actually love that person. Um, and one of the, this is one of my favorite verses, Proverbs 27, 6, says, Faithful are the wounds of a friend. Profuse are the kisses of an enemy. So there's a way to simply do nothing or to be flatterous, flattery, to have flattery, I guess, um, that is profoundly unloving. Whereas... Um, the, the wounds of a friend, to, t- to speak the truth, obviously with gentleness and kindness and respect, but to actually share what is true uh, when somebody goes astray is a deeply loving thing to do. And anger, rightly ordered, is going to motivate you to do that. Um, and, but another distinguishing mark of, I think, righteous anger versus unrighteous anger is righteous anger cares about the way you do it. Whereas unrighteous anger is just going to go in and bludgeon the person with the truth. And it's more about making yourself feel better instead of being intentional and praying and and waiting probably and thinking about it. And then going in and like a surgical strike, caring about delivering the truth in a way that really will hopefully cause this person to, to turn from what they were doing. Yeah. And I think that whole waiting and prayer and discernment is
1: hugely important in this because usually... Uh, at least if I get angry, my inclination is to want to fly off the handle in the moment at someone. Um, All of us have probably written that email uh, and hopefully most of us have developed the wisdom to write that email and then not send it and look at it again in a few days and then decide whether it should be sent or not and most of the time it shouldn't shouldn't be sent and probably shouldn't have been written in the first place. Uh, but one of, the, one of the marks about where our anger is on that continuum is whether we're feeling energized because we want to go pound the person or whether we're feeling grief and sorrow and distress for what's going on in that person's life um, that is causing us to feel this anger. And so I think that when we're experiencing, uh, for lack of a better term, good anger, that grief and that desire to see restoration between that person and what God's word teaches, that is where our motivation is. And there's that great line. uh, You might notice we're going back to the Sermon on the Mount a lot. If you haven't read the Sermon on the Mount, it never ceases to amaze me. How many people have never actually sat down and read the entire Sermon on the Mount? It's Matthew 5, 6, and 7. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand. But if you've never read it, please do yourself a favor and just sit down in one sitting and read that. But a little further along in there, Jesus uses that example about if your brother has a speck in his eye, and he has a speck, there's something in his eye that's wrong, so he's got got an issue, but what Jesus says is don't try to take the speck out of your brother's eye until you deal with the log that is in your own eye. And I think that is a profoundly helpful filter for our own anger. Yeah,
0: that's really good. Um, Two quick resources that I'm going to make a plug for. One is called, this book, Untangling Emotions by Alistair Groves and Winston Smith. Uh, Great little book on understanding emotions in general. And then The Cry of the Soul, which really looks at the, the book of Psalms, which has all sorts of emotions going through it, but there's some great wisdom in both of these and just to kind of wrap up on talking about the difference between righteous anger and unrighteous anger two great little quotes here righteous anger warns invites and wounds for the greater work of redemption it is a it's full of strength that is neither defensive nor vindictive and it is permeated as you said by a sadness that is rich in desire and hope most importantly righteous anger allows the offense To be seen as an issue between the offender and God. And then unrighteous anger, it refuses to turn to God with our deepest questions. Are you just? Are you going to let the wicked win? Are you going to let them violate me with no justice in sight? Uh, Unrighteous anger refuses to surrender. It refuses to wait on God, to look to Him for perspective. Instead, we feel righteous in taking justice into our own hands. When the one we cry to for justice does not appear, or does not hear or respond, we become vigilantes seeking to impose our own sense of justice according to the demands of our own desire. I think that really gets at this—the difference that's there. Um, One of the questions I had for you, since you—you've got a lot of stories that I—I know that, particularly with Lewis and Tolkien, what are some examples where you see? In, in literature or in movies of like anger gone bad or anger that's that's good and right and holy?
1: Well, I think there are, there are a lot of them. Narnia and Lord of the Rings are full of those. But one of the uh, most poignant ones is the interaction between Gandalf and Frodo when they are talking about Gollum. And uh, Frodo wishes that Gollum was just put to death because he's so evil and he just does them wrong all the time and Gandalf sort of calls a pause and says you know do not be too eager to mete out judgment and you know Gollum may yet have some part to play in this tale um you also see with um Puddleglum is one of the great characters in The Silver Chair (laughs) and um Puddleglum, rather than getting angry at things, is just always, he's just very practical and calm and even-handed. But one of the other great places where you do see some anger uh, that's very passionate is when uh, in The Lord of the Rings, they're in the minds of Moria, I'm sorry if you haven't read this or watched the movies, You have an impoverished life, but that's okay. Uh, But there's this great scene that even people who have never read the books know the scene where the Balrog is chasing them, and Gandalf, as the other people in the company are trying to flee, Gandalf turns around, smashes his staff on the stone, and says, You shall not pass! And he's clearly very angry. But he is angry in the most righteous way because he knows that the Balrog is trying to cause the death of everyone in this company and that he is, um, in fact, by making that stand, doing something self-sacrificial to allow these others to be able to escape with their lives. And in fact, it does appear to cost him his life as he is caught and dragged down into that chasm until something
0: wonderful happens later. <laughs> not to so, spoil it. Yes, not to spoil it.
1: <laughs> in case
0: you're impoverished or yeah. wanting to get out of that. But that's a good thing, too, is looking at more often than not, since we are sinners, like we're prone to just be selfish, a good litmus test is if what you're angry at is something that's happening to other people, there's probably a good chance that there can be some righteous anger, at least a seed of it in there. Whereas, more often than not, if we're angry at something that's been done to us in particular, chances are there's at least um, the majority of it being unrighteous anger. Because um, we have, yeah, a lot of selfishness in our hearts, I think. Yes, we
1: certainly do. And a great <laughs> example in the scriptures uh, that people often point to but I think don't always understand is Jesus in the temple where he chases out the money changers. and. Mm-hmm. It's a very poignant story, uh, but part of the reason that it's a poignant story is that there are multiple layers to what's going on because Jesus has gone into the temple and the area that he's in is what's actually called the court of the Gentiles. And it was part of the temple that was designated for the people who are not Jewish, who were not part of God's chosen people to nevertheless be able to come into the temple and pray And so the Gentiles were largely being excluded from this. And then on top of that, the money changers and the people selling animals for sacrifice, it was um, almost like a pyramid scheme that was run by the Pharisees. You were required to offer certain animals for sacrifice. And so the Pharisees said, well, the only way you can get the proper animals is to buy them from us. So, of course, they're marked up and you can only buy them if you use the special temple currency that we're going to get a cut from. So Jesus is angry not just that the Gentiles are deprived of their prayer space but that the Pharisees are profiting on the backs of people who are trying to come to worship God and so that is part of what explains his anger but it's interesting because even Jesus cites the scriptural principle as he expresses his anger and quotes from the Old Testament, my house shall be called a house of prayer for all nations. So uh, I think that's a, a good reference point for
0: us. Yeah, that's good. Well, before we dive into the questions, one last thing. What would you say to somebody who's like, okay, I really want to grow in handling my anger well? Uh, every single one of us, We, I mean, initially, we'll just immediately feel anger over random things that happen. Some things, one day it'll be a small thing and the next day it could be something else. But what would you say to somebody like, all right, I've gotten this wave of anger, what do I do? Help me out. Uh, I would say the very first thing is don't put your anger on social media.
1: <laughs> uh, anger on social media is profoundly unhelpful to everyone. Um, the second thing I would say is do not vent. Uh, vent venting is a concept that has uh, somehow gained currency, uh, I would say, the past two decades where suddenly it's become acceptable to feel like, if you're under stress or pressure and you're angry, then you should have a platform to be able to dump that all over someone else because it's supposed to make you feel better. And there's a ton of psychological research that says, not only does it not make you feel better, but makes you feel worse, uh, but it also really affects the other person that you're venting to in a negative way. So don't do it on social media, don't vent, And then the third thing I would say is pray, pray. Because very often, at least if I'm any example, when I feel anger, the anger I'm feeling is sinful. And it is related to something where I feel like I have been stomped on in some way that was not fair, that is not any kind of biblical ground for anger and um, maybe something that I just need to pray through. Uh, And I would also say if you have prayed through it and then still feel that there's something that you need to do and you still have the sense of anger, that is a great time to actually talk with a more mature Christian friend and pray together about it and talk about how to move forward with that. Um, But I think the longer that you can spend before you do anything with it, praying and discerning that that can be very helpful.
0: Yeah, that's good. Yeah, I would, I would add on the first thing, just slow down, take deep breaths. I mean, more often than not, we're embodied souls, right? So the first thing that comes at us is we feel all of this, our ang- like our heart's beating faster, we are probably have sweaty hands, or, uh, and just to take deep breaths and to slow down is the first thing I would say, and, and actually ask the question, why am I angry? What is it that I'm... Perceiving What am I protecting in my anger? Some really good follow-up questions there is, uh, is the world getting better because of my anger, or is it getting worse because of of my anger? Uh, And then you have to evaluate it, right? So actually saying, going, and this requires knowing what God actually says. So knowing the scriptures, knowing his law, um, are we getting angry at the things that God, in fact, is getting angry at? Um, And here's the kicker. If the answer is then yes, that's where it's actually, and I love this, I'm going to just read this real quick. If the, if the answer is yes, you're in the greatest danger when you're actually right in your anger. Because being right about someone else's sin so easily blinds you to your own. Nothing makes it harder to take the log out of your own eye than being able to say, but she shouldn't have done that, it was wrong. This means that you must be exceedingly careful not to rush straight from evaluating something around you as wrong to un- unsheathing your sword. Instead, when your anger does intend indeed have a healthy seed to it, you must also evaluate if the response, the, the responses your anger is urging are healthy as well. So probe your own heart for any pettiness, vindictiveness, self-righteousness, and the like, which want to stow away underneath your evaluation that the other person is wrong. I think there's so much wisdom, because oftentimes, even when we're right, the way we go about it, there's some seedling of self-righteousness... Yep. There's some attempt to, to blow up, to seek vengeance uh, in how we do it. But if, if it is, like, there is a way to, to be angry and not sin. And that is to, to actually have God be at the center of all of it as the means and the end. And seeking to, to bring about um, love, right? And right. part of loving yeah. the person is, is to actually seek them out, which takes courage, which anger can, righteous anger can motivate you to do. But to then speak with kindness and gentleness, the truth, and invite the person to turn from what they've done—yeah, those are—it's so much easier said than done. But that's that's a good way to go about it, I think. Yes, and I think that two other things I would
1: say—it's a great filter for looking at your anger—is to look at Galatians five, the works of the flesh and the fruit of the spirit, and to think about if I act on this, is it going to provoke? More of the fruit of the spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Or is it going to provoke the works of the flesh, dissensions, factions, rage, you know, all of that. And if it's not the fruit of the spirit, then that might be a good check to Mm -hmm. stop where you are. And the second thing I would say, one of the most effective ways to slough off anger that is not righteous is by regularly being in profound worship. Because if you are in profound worship, it will reorient your priorities. And you see this in the Psalms a lot, where the psalmist is freaking out about this thing or that thing, and then goes in and is in the presence of the Lord in the temple and realizes that everything that they were worked up about really doesn't even matter in the end. Yeah.
0: Boy, that's I mean if there's one thing to do, just go read the Psalms, right? They always slow you down. Um, Oftentimes you'll find validation, but there's always this turn to restoration and hope at the end of the Psalms. Yeah, which is beautiful. Well, how are we doing on questions? I don't even know if we got somebody doing the questions tonight. Oh, we do? Look, he's even got a microphone. Yes! Hey, Colton. So timid. Okay. Um, if everyone can take 30 seconds to just go in and like the questions they would like to hear, that would be appreciated. Thank First question that we have is how do we properly heal from disappointment and bitterness towards God?
1: Okay That's well great question. how do we properly heal from disappointment and bitterness toward God? That is uh, a profound question and I think the first thing to acknowledge in trying to respond to that is that being aware that you need healing from that is hugely important and that is a major step forward to know that you need healing from that Um, the second thing I would say is that uh, when you are experiencing disappointment and bitterness toward God it is important to unpack why you are experiencing that and very often uh, the scripture talks about not allowing the root of bitterness to take root and so sometimes depending on what's going on the root of bitterness needs to be um, uprooted and repented of. Uh, But that is something that is better done, I think, in uh, the context of working with a priest or a mentor or a counselor. I think that's hard sometimes to do that on your own. Um, Praying into it, I think, is very important. Uh, I also think leaning into scripture about the character of God Is really important because one of the things that Satan loves to do is to create a straw man out there Um, I don't know if you know what I mean by a straw man somebody that's not not actually God but an image of God that's not correct and so we can be disappointed and angry and bitter at that straw man who is actually not the one who is our loving Heavenly Father so I think getting that lens uh, clear Um, of how you're looking at God is really important. What would you say to that?
0: Yeah, I I mean, we should do a whole theology on tap on grief, um, probably, and sorrow. And um, bitterness. And bitterness, right? um, I think what you said was great, and I would add, um, going to the scriptures is probably the the most helpful thing, because they're, uh, first of all, knowing that you're not alone, like every. Every Christian I know of has experienced that at some point. Throughout the centuries in the church, Christians have been uh, wrestling with this. And the Psalms are a great place always to go. The first thing that came to my mind was the psalmist in Psalm 77, uh, who was dealing with the exact—this is what he actually says to the Lord. So the first thing I would say is to actually go to the Lord with your disappointment with the Lord. He says, uh, Will the Lord spurn forever and never again be favorable? Has his steadfast love forever ceased? Are his promises at an end for all time? Has God forgotten to be gracious? Has he, in, in anger, shut up his compassion? That's, that's where he is. Yep. How yep. honest and real is that? Yep. And then he says in the very next verse, Then I said, I will appeal to this, to the years of the right hand of the Most High. I will remember the deeds of the Lord. Yes, I will remember your wonders of old. I will ponder all your work and meditate on your mighty deeds. The thing that has most helped me in my life is seeing the in dealing with the disappointment with in God is to look at the places where he has in fact been incredibly gracious and faithful to me as well as then going back to what has he done in history in his faithfulness and gentleness and compassion and grace. And ultimately the cross is the definitive thing where whatever he's done The cross shows us that he is for us, fundamentally. So those would be some of the things I would add to it. And
1: I would add two more quick things. One is Psalm 73 is also actually really awesome about that, um, which uh, I love this phrase, the that says, and as for me, my feet had almost slipped when I considered the prosperity of the wicked. And, you know, it's basically somebody that's been trying to do the right thing, and everybody that is completely ignoring God seems like everything's going great for them, and this person just has thing after thing go wrong. So I think that is a really profound psalm to spend some time in. And
0: I just forgot what the second thing was, but maybe it will come back to the good. That was good. Good question. All right, that was just one. Wow, that was like a 10-minute answer we <laughs> gave. Sorry. <laughs> Sorry about that. But it's such, a, it's good such a good question. such a good question. Yes, and very important. We'll do better with the next ones. Maybe. I hope. <laughs> <laughs>
1: How do you
0: deal with
1: people who are angry about things that are biblical truths? Say that again. How do you deal with people who are angry with things that are biblical truths? Um, So I take... I'm going to answer this, assuming that means people that are angry because they don't like what the biblical truth is, and so they are opposed to that. There's a lot of that in our culture right now. A lot of people shouting and making a lot of noise about those kinds of things. And I think the first thing you can do is pray for those people. Um, One of the remarkable things, if you read in some of C.S. Lewis's letters, is he talks about um, his struggle of trying to pray for Hitler daily, you know, and um, that is uh, a reminder to us that there is no one who is outside the reach of God's saving embrace um, should the Holy Spirit be able to get through to that person's heart. So um, I think that that is uh, important. Uh, another thing that I think is, again, don't, if you're in the social media sphere trying to deal with people's anger about issues and non biblical viewpoints on social media, that is just playing into Satan's hands, in my view. Um, I think that the the best way to engage those kinds of things is to be in, in loving relationship with people and having honest and vulnerable conversations rather than demonizing the opposition or assuming everybody that holds to these viewpoints is just evil. Um, a great question in talking to those kinds of people um, or people who hold viewpoints that seem absolutely contrary is to say, help me to understand where you're coming from. Why do you feel this way? What what in your life experience has led you to where you are? Um, I think those kinds of things can defuse
0: some of the tension. Yeah. Uh, One of the antidotes we didn't say this to anger is humility, and Mm -hmm. just absolutely, I love what you just said. Uh, Help me understand. Those are the as opposed to you always or you're doing this. It's a help me. It's a posture of lowliness and humility that is really important. I, I think, as you said. Uh, not just in social media, but even virtually in any capacity, texting, digitally. People don't change their minds that way. Uh, it has to be embodied. It has right. to be in Face-to-face face conversation. Getting to yeah. know, asking questions, getting to know them, uh, and, and basically ha- asking genuine questions about why they believe what they do is, is probably the most helpful way to go about it. Yeah.
1: And a great book resource for that that's kind of on this topic. Uh, is by a woman named Rosaria Butterfield and it's called The Gospel Comes with a House uh, and it's basically a book about a woman who was a partnered lesbian um, professor of queer and gender studies at Syracuse um, which you would say those are probably some pretty non biblical views um, and she was pretty vociferous about those views but she was basically loved into the kingdom of God by her neighbor and his wife, the guy was a Presbyterian minister, and they just practiced radical hospitality and love with her. So it's a compelling book to read. Yeah.
0: It, it can't happen in the abstract or in the right or in the blogosphere. Yeah, yeah. it's got to be good. How? How could God's anger be righteous if it involved killing whole cities and men, women, children in the Old Testament?
1: Yeah, good question. Yeah, would you like to
0: answer that? Yeah, sure. I, I think that I mean this is one of those hard, classically hard places. Yeah. Looking in the Old yeah. Testament is yeah. Um, you know that doesn't that doesn't make me feel happy when I read that passage. I don't understand. But again, approaching it as if God has actually spoken. Uh, and and knowing that what he said about himself—that he is loving—and uh, w- one of the ways to answer that question is that um, he is also just, right. Mm-hmm. And so the we are so quick to dismiss sin as not that big of a deal. And now I can't f- I can't fathom and understand all of how an how a sin against an infinite God is an infinite kind of a sin. But I I, I still again from a try to have a posture of humility and understanding if if it is as bad as he's revealed it then um man what we actually deserve is far worse than i am comfortable thinking about and so this in one of the ways of answering this old testament thing it's an intrusion of his end time judgment of what's going to happen at the end of the world where he judges all sin and everyone comes to face to face with his purifying blaring righteousness um Our only hope there is turning to his mercy and grace, which he's done in the person of Jesus. And so um, these are few examples in the Old Testament where he has shown the depth of his justice in a preemptive way of of really what's going to happen, what we can expect at the end, of all those who just turn their back on him, I think. Um, And it doesn't make me feel comfortable. I want to say that it's, it's a hard, hard place, but it is a sobering place to to really, what are my, like, how do I weigh turning against him? Is it really as bad as I think? Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I think the other thing with
1: those instances that you find, and there are, you know, a number of them in the Old Testament where things like that happen. One of the principles, and we talked about this a couple of weeks ago, one of the principles of looking at Scripture uh, is to interpret Scripture by Scripture and to not take one part and try to, build a case um, out of that one part, but to look at the whole revelation of God. And one of the things that is really interesting is that in the Old Testament you have some of those uh, instances like that, but at the same time you have over and over again um, the description of God and his uh, this Hebrew word that's called chesed. Um, which is God bless you yeah it sounds like (laughs) you're sneezing Um, and it's a word that we can't quite translate but it's something along the lines of purposeful steadfast love and mercy that is unmerited and that that is one of the key core concepts of who God is and again the idea that God is the definition of justice and One of the ways, there's some great stuff in Lewis about some of this kind of discussion, but one of the things he talks about is the fact that we are limited not only in our understanding and in time, but also in our dimensionality, and that God is looking at the whole arc of justice in the universe over all time. And so things that seem manifestly unjust to us, May, in the grand scheme of things, not actually be as they appear in our limited wisdom.
0: What was a quote that he gives about like how an is it an ant it looks to try and understand uh, the person above him in the difference between God and us versus, um, say, yeah, us and I'm, I'm butchering. Yeah, I you know, I'm, I, I Did exactly I stump you on a C.S. About, Lewis quote? But I'm oh going to my... butcher it too. so oh, okay. but yeah. yeah, dimensionality. It's what you're getting yes. good enough. Does God want us to take action with our righteous anger or just to pray about
1: it? That is a great question. Yes. <laughs> is the answer. Uh, yes. Does God want us to take action or does he want us to pray about it? Um, just pray about it? Uh, yes. Both of them. So God does want us to pray about it. I, I would take a little issue with just pray about it, because I think if you're like me. Prayer is usually your last resort after you like tried to fix everything on your own, whereas in fact it should be the very first thing that we run to. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that as we pray, and we pray as to whether God desires us to do something, um, to take some kind of action, that it will become clear to us uh, as we seek to discern through Scripture, through prayer, through the counsel of godly friends whether that is in fact the case. Uh, But there is, uh, at the risk of plugging Lewis too much, uh, there's a great book that I just finished a class on called That Hideous Strength, and that is part of the tension all through that book, where there are all these terrible things going on, and there's this company of Christians, and they are praying and worshiping and tending their garden and cultivating beauty. And one of the people in the company is like, Stop just praying and like farming. Get out there and do something. Evil is gonna triumph. Don't you think? Evil's triumph and get out there and do something. And what becomes very clear in the book, because the, the director of the Christian community keeps saying we are doing something, we are praying, we are waiting on the Lord, which is one of the most active and powerful things that one can do, and when the right moment comes we will be called to the right kind of action. And I think that's a really great model of the way to respond to that.
0: Definitely taking issue with just praying. I think prayer is the first thing, second, third. I mean, you it. If you've ever tried to love somebody when you've been uh, and trying say that you have righteous anger in this rare instance, right? Uh, Prayer must be the beginning, the middle, and the end of the whole thing. Because otherwise, it's just going to go off the rails, or at least I will and how we're supposed to then love. It needs supernatural, spiritual discernment, and the timing, the manner of how you actually extend this invitation in gentleness and kindness to um, to own up and to, to turn from from what they've done. Yeah. And, and, and also recognizing that what your primary goal is, to, is to help this person in their relationship with God, right? And it's not so much about me, and prayer needs to be all through that. but. It's, if the question's all about is it activity or inactivity, I would say love definitely does take action, but it's essential that we know the kind of action to take, by praying and when throughout and when to yeah. take it. Yeah. yeah, Very good question. A couple more. Do you have Do you have any practical tip, practical advice for when you feel anger rising up?
1: Uh. There's lots of practical advice uh, for that. Uh, prayer is a great thing to go to. Um, sometimes, it, to me, if I start getting, and it depends on like what the context is where you're starting to feel angry as to what you can actually do. Um, I find that going outside and taking a walk is profoundly helpful for several reasons. One is it removes you from whatever the situation is. Um, the next thing that it does is it puts you right in the middle of God's rightly ordered universe. And when you are out in the creation where there is order and beauty and all of that, it can change the way that you're thinking. Um, I think being uh, slow, quick to listen, slow to speak and slow to anger uh, is another great thing when you begin to feel that anger welling up. I'm doing some self-examination thinking about, am I in a moment where I'm spiritually healthy right now? Is there a reason where um, this is like getting to me more than it should? That kind of self-inventory can be really helpful. And then i would also say self-restraint of not not speaking, not sending anything, not posting anything when you feel that anger welling up. And if you can go to worship, um, that is a great thing to do in that moment as well.
0: So the first year of my marriage, I uh, wish I had learned a lot of this, I think, because <laughs> uh, it took a long time. And usually it's in these relationships, the friendships, marriage, whatever, uh, where we do experience this rub against when two sinners come together. Mm-hmm. And so it's often against those that we most love, that we, that we do experience anger. And, and what you said, I think for me, fundamentally, because we are in bodies, getting out of the situation, taking a time out, if it's an argument, whatever, Going away, taking deep breaths yep. and just breathing, getting oxygen to my brain helps a lot. And um, and again, just a lot of what we talked about. P- asking the Lord, I'm and, and assuming, first of all, in a posture of humility, there's probably a way I'm contributing to this. Lord, help mm-hmm. me to see with mm-hmm. your eyes any contribution I am in this. And, and walking around, taking deep breaths. And so then evaluating why is it, uh, naming the fact that I'm angry. I think for me, yeah. I often, I'm angry and tell the Lord that. Mm-hmm. I'm, I actually feel angry right Just now. Just like in the Psalms. Just like yep. in the Psalms, yep. yeah. And that can be a guide for it. But then evaluating it and, uh, and praying throughout all of it before you then re-engage uh, into it. Yep. But not to take too long apart from it. I, I think disengaging for a little bit from the person that you're, and then to, to come back almost every time there's been a significant change that's happened in me that usually the Lord's shown me, okay, how I've contributed to this or maybe what they've done, but helped me to understand why they did, you know, their mm-hmm. intent. We didn't even talk about other person's intent yeah. and the importance yeah. of considering why, even if they've offended you, maybe they've had a different perspective. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, those are those things. <clears throat> Last one. Should we never go to bed angry, or should we give the situation time and space?
1: What I was talking about. Yeah, so that is a, uh, in some ways, I think it's a little bit of a trick question. Uh, Sometimes, so there there is the scriptural admonition, do not let the sun go down on your anger. And there are a number of marriage books um, that will tell you if you're married or you're in a relationship don't ever go um, to bed angry without dealing with the situation first. I'm just going to respectfully disagree with that. Uh, I think that there are sometimes that's exactly right and sometimes you can try to work through the situation and pray or you can even say I'm just giving this over to the Lord and I'm going to disengage from this emotion. But I think one of the things that can be the trap that's in that advice is that if you, I'm just gonna use the marriage example again, if you and your spouse have both had long, hard, difficult days and you are both feeling unloved and put upon, the very worst thing you can do is to try to enter into a conversation to solve that when you're both exhausted. Because what you will end up doing more than likely is wounding each other even worse. And I think the best thing you can do in that situation is to say to your spouse, I love you, I'm very frustrated right now, let's table this conversation, and after we have um, gotten some rest, um, let's find a time when we're not so upset where we can sit down and try to talk through this together. You can argue with me. No, I think
0: that's, I'm, that's why I love you is exactly what I would say. In my mind, I would have said, you know, talk to me 12 years ago. It was like, yeah, the Bible says don't let the sun go down on your anger. And I had spent many, many nights trying to live that out only to my detriment and my wife's detriment. Yeah. And there's deep wisdom uh, recognizing that, like, sometimes what you need is a nap and some food. right. Yes, I was looking <laughs> up Elijah where he's like desperate uh, and he's like, Lord, I'm the only one. And he gives him a nap and some food yep. and, and then, then, then everything's sudden, better. Yeah. Uh, it's like, wow, but, it's a different
1: world. Yeah, <laughs> yeah.
0: More often than not, it's been that case where I'm angry and I'm carrying it over from actually something totally different than my spouse. But, and we're both doing that and then yep. we're trying to do it and we're so headstrong into trying to fix it that it's two, three and the in the morning and nothing good happens after midnight. No, so, no, um, no. yeah, I, I would say exactly what you said and affirm it that I think sometimes being intentional about, okay, let's set a time and when we will come back to this. Right. You but don't ignore it. I would have said, yeah. a, saved a lot of um, pain and exhaustion had I <laughs> uh, done what you said. Yes. To. Well, Thank you so much. Those were great questions. We still we have some books up here if you want to take a look at them or just hang out with us. We're, we'll be around for a while. And, uh, and one
1: recommendation that I didn't bring, if you've never read Martin Luther King Jr.'s letter from a Birmingham jail, oh. that is such a great piece. And one of the things he's dealing with in there is what he perceives as the complacency of white Christian clergymen and the midst of the Civil Rights Movement. But the way that he addresses it is exactly that. I am grieved
0: rather than I want to pound you over the head. Yeah, so. That's great. I'm glad you mentioned that. Uh, our next one is not in two weeks. It's in three weeks, July 26th. We will be back, and we can't wait to see you then. So come back, but hang out, and we're glad that you're here. Yes, thank you so much. Thanks for coming.